Time now for Marriage Builders, building marriages to last a lifetime. Also online at marriagebuilders.com. Now, here's Joyce Harley and Dr. Bill Harley. Well, good day to you. Glad you could join us for Marriage Builders Radio. You've sent us your marriage questions on a variety of topics. We look forward to getting you answers during this hour. Now, joining us for this discussion is my husband, Dr. Bill Harley, licensed clinical psychologist and best-selling author on marriage. Some days, the tongue just doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> it gets all tangled up in the teeth. But yes, on a variety of topics. There you go. There we go. I got it out. <laughs> well, we talk about emotional needs a lot. In fact, that's what your book, His Needs, Her Needs, is all about, defining his needs his emotional needs, and defining her emotional needs. Well, we have a question in just a minute from David about emotional needs. But let's lay the groundwork, lest somebody is just tuning in and doesn't really know what we're talking about regarding emotional needs. And our regular listeners, it doesn't hurt to have a refresher course on what we are talking about. So explain the emotional needs concept. Yeah, it's a, it's a concept that I actually coined myself now. I'm, I'm not exactly sure if I'm the originator of the concept, but the basic idea is that an emotional need is something that we crave. It's a craving that makes us happy when, we're, when we have it and, and unhappy or frustrated when we don't. Now, um, there are emotional needs and there are physical needs. Now, physical needs are things that we have to have in order to stay alive, like air, like oxygen, like um, food, water, these are all emotional needs. No, are all physical, physical. needs. <laughs> I'm listening. And some some physical needs um, are also emotional needs, and some physical needs don't have an emotional component. For example, if you were to breathe, um, say, helium, uh, you would die. <laughs> uh, but you wouldn't you wouldn't feel the need to. Uh, Think, breathe oxygen. But I think you would laugh yourself to death because <laughs> you sound so funny right. breathing helium, yeah, that so, is. So basically, when it comes to breathing in oxygen, you can breathe in a lot of different kinds of things and not feel the need for it. Most physical needs have an emotional component. Now, we get hungry. That's, a, that's an emotional component. Well, and component food has too. an emotional component, too. Just thinking about food you like. Right. Right? And anything that makes you feel something, that's emotional. Mm-hmm. And um, and physical would be something that you wouldn't necessarily feel, but you need. All right. So it's the emotional component of a physical need that makes us do what we do to get whatever it is we need. So now, what about emotional needs that don't have physical components? So, for example, the emotional needs that I talk about in His Needs, Her Needs uh, don't have a physical component. They, they are things that if you don't have it, you won't die. Um, you may not be very happy, but on the <laughs> other hand, you don't die if you don't have affection. You don't die if you don't have admiration. You don't die if you don't have uh, family commitment. So the basic idea of the emotional needs that I'm talking about are things that I've asked people, how, do, how would you like your spouse to treat you uh, in, in a way that would make you happy. How, what, what could your spouse do for you that would make you the happiest? And so I started out by just giving people that open-ended question, and then I categorized their answers into uh, what turned out to be 10, 10 categories. 
uh, that, that I have now used as the standard emotional needs of men and women. And it turns out that the things that men generally rate the highest in terms of their needs are rated the lowest in terms of most women's needs and vice versa. So the things that women need the most in their marriage, men need the least. The things that men need the most, women need the least. So that creates a problem. The problem is empathy. Well, sometimes, though, they have the same needs. I mean, because because we're not dictating what a woman right. should have and what a man should yeah. have. You have a list of 10, and you choose the top five for you as the individual. Now, if you have the same needs, then, of course, uh, meeting each other's needs becomes uh, a you cakewalk. Can I- you can identify right. why you need that, because yeah. I need it so, as well. So right. if you both need affection, mm-hmm. you can understand each other's needs, and you meet, the, you meet each other's needs uh, cheerfully. Uh, but it's when you don't have the same priorities— that creates a, tr- a problem, and so that's really what the book His Needs, Her Needs is written for, is to help people who don't have the same amount of need, uh, the same craving, uh, so that they can learn how to help each other out, uh, even if the, their need is not a high priority for them. Okay, so with that as a background and understanding about the emotional needs and how mm-hmm. that even came about, um, David is writing about the emotional needs questionnaire. Now, we talk about the questionnaire periodically throughout the show, and the questionnaire is available on our website, free, yep, of, charge. free of charge. You can download it, mm-hmm. make copies, yep. and uh, I just say just don't sell it on the street corner. <laughs> make copies for your family, and you know, for you and your, your spouse, right. but to fill it out to determine what are your top five emotional needs, right? right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is where David comes in with his question. My wife and I have filled out our emotional needs questionnaire, and we're wondering how often we need to resurvey our emotional needs. Do they change over time? Should we retake the questionnaire, say, every three years just, just to double check? We love your concepts and want to make sure we aren't just assuming that we never change in the emotional needs area. Thank you for your input. He brings up a good point. Yeah, and I think that people do change. Uh, One one of the problems that you run into in filling out the emotional needs questionnaire is that you are likely to rate an emotional need as being high when you don't have it met. See, so the basic idea is that let's suppose you're meeting my my top five emotional needs. And so what I'm looking at is six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And so I might rate the six or seven as a two or three because they're not being met. Follow me? Now that you would put them up up into the top five category, even though there are already five there? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. In other words, that, that in order to get my emotional needs met that aren't being met, that are down the list of ways. Oh, now that's they, an interesting point then. Should you be looking at what you're not having met? If, huh, so this you, got, is, you got so this me is, on that one. Well, so this is the instructions that I give. I start out by saying, if you, if your spouse were to only meet one of your emotional needs out of the 10, you, in other words... Not whether they're doing it or not. No, it's just... Just if, they're, if, if, you, if you could choose one emotional need that you would have your spouse meet for the rest of your life and do it well, but you're not going to get the other nine. You will not get any of the other nine. But I got to tell you, you got to get some more. Which would you pick <laughs> as the most important? And then, okay, you got one down. Now, if you could have a second one, but none of the rest. But you are going to get some more, yes. <laughs> and then you have a third, but none of the rest. 
You see, then then you see you have a better idea of what I think I need the most out of you. Okay, now, but the fact that I'm already getting this should not cloud my decision, mm-hmm. right? Right. In other words, even if I'm already getting it, it still has to be on the list in priority. Yeah, right. So you might you might say, well, you're really doing a good job at one, two, three, and four. Well, no, give and you're the, doing a pretty good give, job at five, but you're not doing a very good job at six. No, no, give a title. So then don't don't put six as a number two. Okay, right. Okay, right. <laughs> so okay, so in, I'd rather you give a title, but anyway, a name of that need right. rather than the number. Okay. So give that illustration again, but give the name of the need. Okay, you're you're doing a really good job uh, meeting my need for sex for uh, for recreation companionship, for uh, admiration, for um, physical attractiveness, um, and you're doing a pretty good job uh, for domestic support, but you're really not doing a really good job in, say, intimate conversation. So I move intimate conversation up to number two or three, when in fact I don't need intimate conversation that much. I wouldn't want to replace it with, say, recreational companionship. Okay. See, and so that would be the point. The point is that you want to make sure you, you understand yourself well enough to know what is it that really makes me the happiest in this marriage because I don't advocate meeting all of each other's emotional needs, which some people accuse me of. They think that Dr. Harley wants us to meet all of our emotional needs. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be efficient. And just meet the most important ones. And that would be the top five. That'd be the top right. five. Okay. As far as how as far as how often you need to fill this out, we didn't get that answered. Okay. So let's do that on the other side. Sure. We'll be back with more Marriage Builders Radio. Join the thousands of couples who have learned step by step how to experience a meaningful and fulfilling love relationship. They did this by completing Dr. Harley's online seminar and home study courses, His Needs, Her Needs, and Love Busters. Here's how it works. You'll begin by watching an online seminar where Dr. Harley will help you identify the problems you face in your marriage. Then the home study courses will show you how to solve those marital problems in a systematic way. Go to marriagebuilders.com homepage and click the tab Courses, Seminar, and Accountability. Look for program number two for a description of the seminar and the courses. Then follow the instructions on that page to place your order. Start the program the day the package arrives. And if you're not completely satisfied, send it back to us within 30 days and you'll receive a full refund, including shipping charges. Restore passion to your marriage. Order today. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Let's go right back to David's question on the emotional needs. He says, do they change over time? And you're saying they don't change. You no, know, they can. Emotional needs can really change. In other words, you, you, you can, in fact, uh, discover that you really need intimate conversation more than you used to. And so when you're thinking about the things that you really need, you can say, okay, let's drop admiration off the list. And let's let's put intimate conversation in its place because okay. I really think All right. that so they do change over time. Right. So then it's a good idea to reevaluate. Mm-hmm. How frequently should you reevaluate? Well, I, I've you know a lot of the couples that I have uh, counseled over the years uh, fill it out every year. Mm-hmm. They fill it out at uh, January first. Yes. 
And they, that, read, they, read, yeah. they read the book, His and Eternity. I, I just so love that. Yeah. That couple mm-hmm. will let us know occasionally that they're still doing this. Mm-hmm. But uh, New Year's Eve, actually, is right. how they see the New yep. Year in. They Now, I can't imagine they can't read the whole book on New Year's Eve. But they, they begin rereading it right. on New Year's Eve yep. and filling out the questionnaires, mm-hmm. the emotional needs questionnaires. And uh, I think that's great. It's always mm-hmm. fun to hear from them that they're still doing that. Okay, so fill it, fill it out. Do a double check. Maybe every year is a good idea. All right. So, David, I hope that answers your question. And for those who didn't think you had a question, you got some answers. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's go to this listener's question. And it's about contradicting a spouse. Um, He says, we have a problem with my wife contradicting me, not only when we are alone, but in public as well. I find it annoying, disrespectful, and sometimes embarrassing. How can I get her to stop this? It is truly a love buster. Yeah, it has a lot to do with um, the feeling of certainty about your attitudes and beliefs and and uh, perspectives. And uh, people that have great certainty about whether they're right or wrong about all kinds of things <clears throat> will tend to correct other people. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking, what about facts? Certainty yeah. about facts. Yeah. I mean, the, that's where I step the, in. <laughs> the, the question is whether it's really a fact or whether it's an opinion. And a lot of times people think of opinions as being facts. Well, fact is we did do something on a certain date on the calendar. Or you could say that you have a certain memory of I having done that. I have it written down on my tape planner. <laughs> You're not going to get me off of that one. I mean, seriously. I mean, it is a fact. It's in black and white. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think that you and I, I, I'm a little more flexible in my <laughs> uh, in my judgment of other people's opinions. You know, I, I really believe that to some extent, um, d- nailing down a fact can be more problematic than most people think because of, we just yesterday talked about about, about confabulation. Mm-hmm. which is a word that we finally came up with. Uh, and that means that we, when, 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 when a memory is not there in our brain, our brain tends to put something in its place that makes us think we remembered that in a, in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And false memories are a reality. People remember things falsely. We were listening last night on television and that very... <laughs> theme came up mm-hmm. in a dateline show in right. fact mm-hmm. yep and so the and so the point is that it, just because you remember a certain thing to be a particular way doesn't actually mean it would happen that way because of the issue of false memories so uh, facts facts themselves are sometimes difficult to know for sure and and I know that we you and I watch a lot of a lot of shows that have to do with murder mysteries and so forth and people going to going to uh, before a court and they have to prove Proof, something right. to be the mm-hmm. case right. and they have circumstantial evidence and so the question is did did they really do it well there's nobody there that actually saw it happen but you have all of this evidence so the question is did they do it or not and we know of a lot of people that actually get convicted that never did it later on they discovered that somebody else did it you know and this sort of thing so hard to nail down facts okay now, if if unless I, it's in black and white in your day planner, yeah. So <laughs> so if I if I feel certain about things and and certain feeling certain is a personality trait, it's a trait, uh, and 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 so you you think of it as 
people that feel certain about almost everything, uh, their, even their opinions or their religious beliefs or all sorts of other things, they, they just have a feeling of certainty. You're sort of born with that. So if you happen to be married to somebody with a high level of certainty about all sorts of things, that person will tend to interrupt you and correct you. We both have a certainty. Yeah, I don't as much as you do, I think. Oh, really? Yes, oh, right. really? I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking we were pretty equal in this one, but Not, never, it, yeah. it depends about the category. In in your field of expertise, mm-hmm. you have certainty. So I think that's what I was Well, re- even listening. that, even that I could I would honestly say that I am open to Discussion? suggestions. Yeah, okay. right. And and and, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the philosophy background that I have that basically I was raised I was trained in philosophy to recognize that that um, it's hard to know what's true in in life, um, and of course you 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 go through the early Greek philosophers like Socrates, and and basically he demonstrates that nothing that you think is true can be proven because you can always go back to a point at which it turns out to be an opinion about it's, something. Life is easier if you didn't even go that route, you know, because well, that's where I am. But it, ca- it causes me at least to be less certain less about certain. things. Less certain. Okay. All right. So, so but, here's, a, here's, a, here's a guy, uh, he is the listener who is saying, you know, my wife is always interrupting me. Okay. First of all, I would argue that her problem is certainty. She's contradicting is the word. Contradicting mm-hmm. him. Okay. Fr- problem is certainty. Now, it is true that what she's doing is disrespectful. He's right about that. And the question is... And what, it's true. It's annoying. I mean, he's saying yeah. that it's how, annoying to him. Yeah. And how? It, I, I, I'd say uh, it, it's poor etiquette. Uh, I don't think anybody should interrupt anybody. Uh, now, if you're on TV and you have a show... I've been told that I should interrupt. So if I'm on a, if I'm on a TV show and I'm I'm talking to somebody who disagrees with me about my philosophy, I can interrupt them. They want me to do they that. They want that, yes. But in 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 ordinary conversation, I try not to do that. I basically let the person say what they have to say, and I don't talk to them ahead of time. Now in this radio show, you have noticed that I interrupt you occasionally. Occasionally. Now I try not to. <laughs> You know, basically, if I interrupt you, I'm 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 making a mistake, and I should be called out for it. Okay, now that's interrupting, and we do agree that the the courtesies in, mm-hmm. in conversation is you listen to the person, yep. assume they're finished, yep. and then you speak yourself. Yep. Um, sometimes people interrupt, however, because they're afraid they're going to forget what they're going to say. And I know on the telephone, I'm writing things down, so I won't interrupt somebody, but I have it at least in front of me so that I will go back to that point that I want to make. Yep. But he's talking about contradicting. Now, the question is, how do you talk your spouse into recognizing that what they're doing is disrespectful? And that is a really tough question to answer. Because if he tells her that what you're doing is being disre- you're being disrespectful. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that's as, that's as far as he can go. In other words, you should you should basically and say, I'm, would I'm be. terribly offended by what yep. you just did. That's To me, that's perfectly good. To go beyond that, I think, turns out to be a mistake. See, that she could have a comeback. The person could have a comeback to that. Um, but I'm offended that you can't get it straight. 
and that you're giving wrong information. That, that, that makes me even more offended. What you just said is even more offensive. <laughs> right, and truly it would be. But you can see where a person would respond sure. to that. But that's so as far I as I would take it. we can get back to a little bit more of the conversation on right. that when we come back, okay? Right. We'll handle that on today's Marriage Builders Radio. Do you and your spouse know what to do, but just can't get yourselves to do it? If motivation is your problem, try the Marriage Builders online program. It comes complete with an accountability coach to help motivate you every step of the way. First, you view the online seminar, where Dr. Harley will explain his basic concepts and help you identify and organize your problems so you can resolve them in a systematic way. Then, your accountability coach will guide you through the solutions to those problems as you complete Dr. Harley's home study courses, his needs, her needs, and love busters. Your coach will communicate with you throughout the program by email and telephone whenever you have questions or need encouragement and your progress will be evaluated by your coach. For more information about the Marriage Builders online program, click the tab, Courses, Seminar, and Accountability, and then look for program number three for a complete description. Restore passion to your marriage. Register today. Welcome back to Marriage Builders Radio. Well, our listener is asking about his wife who's contradicting him in private and in public. And he said it's annoying to him, it's disrespectful, and sometimes even embarrassing. After our lengthy discussion about, you know, getting facts straight and, and when they're not straight and what is a, con- what is a contradiction <laughs> and all that. But um, it, you said that he should say simply to her, I find that... To be very offensive. Be very offensive when you do that in private and in public. That expresses how he is feeling, but what if she comes back and says, well, but I want to make sure the facts are clear and you don't seem to be getting the story straight. So I need to step in and say something. How do you convince the other person not to speak when they feel the facts aren't being delivered correctly. There are two issues here. Number one is correcting your spouse in front of other people. That I mean, even if you'd be right about the correction, that may turn out to be offensive. Uh, the second is that is the correction actually correct? Right. We won't go there, okay? Well, it's how to handle it, though. I mean, because right. it's perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, she may think it's correct. He may think his, yeah. his way is correct. So that's kind of something they have to deal with, with respect. Now, I would say this, that as a general etiquette, as a general rule for etiquette, I'd say interrupting is wrong. I would say correcting your spouse in public is wrong. Um, I would say correcting your spouse in private is wrong in the sense that what you should do is say, I, I see it this way. I remember it this I way. I remember it this way. In other words, that instead of saying you're right, you're, you're wrong and I'm right, that what you do is you say, I, I remember the situation. Bingo. That's different. what I was looking for. Yeah. Yes. And, and that would be the correct thing to do. Now, I will say this, that as a person, I don't mind being interrupted. It really does not offend me. Well, you so grew if you up interrupt with me, that. yeah, I grew up with it. Uh, everybody's interrupting everybody. I got used to it. Uh, if you were to uh, correct me in public, I wouldn't mind. I just it doesn't bother me a bit. And I would also say that if you correct me in private, 
I doesn't bother me a bit. Do you think correct so, and contradict are the same things? Because he's using the word contradicts me. Well, you can contradict me all you want, and I don't, it doesn't bother me but, a bit. But <laughs> is that correcting somebody, contradicting somebody, what they've just said? Is that correcting them in their statement? Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so basically, that kind of thing never bothers me. It really, really, I mean, you can do it all you want. It doesn't bother me a bit. However, I still think it's wrong. Now, that would be, now, now, why would I say that? Well, I would say that for the vast majority of people out there, it does offend them. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And um, to be honest, it would offend you if I were to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we've had, we've right. been out with friends, you know, a very light evening. <laughs> right. And you know, one is relating a story. It could be you or me, because it's happened both mm-hmm. ways. And I think we will both step in and say, I don't remember it quite that way. And um, that's fine with me, and I'm sure it's fine with you, but deep down inside I'm thinking, hmm, um, I don't think he's got it right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I take a deep breath and I don't comment. Mm -hmm. I allow the the restatement to stand because I don't want to make a big deal of it, but yet I'm thinking, what? I got it right. What are you talking about? Sure. Well, I'm, and and you know, like I say, I think that that in in our relationship, you can do that whenever you want. It's fine with me. But the basic idea is that in general, it's not fine with people. Now, well, and, obviously, and, with this and, there is not. A, and there is a more important r- reason here, and that is that the whole question of how do we, how should people communicate in a marriage, to me. Uh, the overarching concept that is extremely important is mutual respect. Respect to me is a gigantic concept in marriage. And if you fail to recognize the importance of it, you're just going to run into all kinds of problems. So I can see, and everybody can see in public, that contradicting your spouse can be everything that this listener says. It's annoying, it's disrespectful, and sometimes embarrassing. But what I want to address is in private, when it's just you and and your spouse. It's how you it's how you go about it, and I think that if you in private you go about it in a very respectful way, I think that's the right way to do it. Even if the person doesn't like you correcting them about anything, you see, if you were to say, "Well, I don't remember quite the same way," I mean that that even that may create a negative reaction. But I would say that that's the best you can do under those circumstances. Now, let me add one more point. And that is that because I don't mind being interrupted, it's hard for me to grasp uh, the importance of me not interrupting other people. Mm-hmm. See, because, you know, again, from in, in my little world, interrupting people is fine because it doesn't bother me. But I still think it's an ethical issue. And in other words, there are ethical rules in life that apply to people because more most people feel that way about things and so if, per, if a person doesn't feel that way they should still follow those same ethical rules of not interrupting of not interrupting right. so you know it's something it's i have to work on many years ago or occasionally let's put it that way i've heard you say that uh if you inter, interrupt an introvert they lose their train of thought yeah introverts especially hate being interrupted hate it because it's so hard for them to get the sentence started and if you interrupt them in the middle, they can't then repeat what they just said. They can't find the words. They lose their train of thought. And so when you're married to somebody that's an introvert, you have to give them extra time to get the sentence started. So when I've talked to, when I have clients that are introverted, what I do is I pause 
to give them a chance to respond. And then three or four seconds later, they start talking. And if I were to say, well, he must not have anything to say because two or three seconds have gone by and he doesn't say anything, and then I continue to talk, the introvert would never say anything. And once they've started, then don't interrupt their train of thought once they're speaking to you. And it might be a good rule of thumb just to think that everybody is an introvert based on that, so that it would help you remember not to interrupt. Uh, What I do is I get over-enthusiastic about a topic, and I can interrupt with the best of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes, like I said, it is because I want to get my thought out there so I don't forget. When we're on the show or when I'm on the phone, I quickly write down what I want to say, just one word that will prompt that memory of what I wanted to say. But in a live conversation, when you can't write it down, uh, sometimes you tend to interrupt when you don't mean to be rude. You just mm-hmm. want to make sure you get your thought out there. Right. And every once in a while, you know, you'll, you will interrupt me. Yes. And, um, and then you'll say, oh, well, what were you saying? And I flat out can't remember <laughs> what I was saying. So, I mean, that, that uh, to me is the, is the practical problem. I'll, I'll say, wait, wait, wait. I want, I want to tell you something. Yeah, I don't, and I don't mind you interrupting me, except I wait, do forget what I was saying. Let me tell you this saying. before I forget. And they say, okay, now what were you talking about? I can't remember. <laughs> oh, and so then we're left in a quandary. And what were you going to talk about? All right. Well, we're going to move on to other questions and other answers. So stay with us on today's Marriage Builders Radio. Would you like your spouse to hear what you just heard on Marriage Builders Radio? Or would you like to hear past broadcasts on topics of special interest to you? We are now offering unlimited downloads of over 5,000 Marriage Builders Radio segments that you can listen to as often as you like. All advertisements and musical spacing has been eliminated, so you hear only the segment itself. There are three ways to find the segments you want to hear. They're identified by the original date of the broadcast, by the primary topic of discussion, and by a brief description of the segment, including the caller's question. By using our search engine, you can identify segments that are of interest to you. Unlimited downloads of over 5,000 Marriage Builders radio segments. Take advantage of this offering. To download Marriage Builders segments of your choice, go to Radio Archives on the MarriageBuilders.com website, and everything will be explained to you. That's Radio Archives at MarriageBuilders.com. Just to remind you that you can be a participant in this show by sending in your email questions, and then we'll discuss them and get the answers that you're looking for. You send it to mbradio at marriagebuilders.com. Include your phone number if you'd like to consider joining us as a caller. I'll contact you then off air, explain how it works, and then you can decide. Also include your mailing address, because once we've addressed your email, typically we talk about what free book we want to send you. And of course, it's one of Dr. Harley's books that will help you further in your situation. So that's mbradio at marriagebuilders.com. By the way, we do nothing else with your mailing address other than send you a free book. Well, Jeffrey is writing uh, about a topic that is um, a hard one to deal with, and that's jealousy. Mm -hmm. And he wants to know how to cope with a jealous wife. He says, during the period of my courtship with my wife, he should say courtship with his soon-to-be wife, right? Mm -hmm. Because they weren't married during the courtship. I had a sexual encounter with a former girlfriend. I disclosed this fact to my wife before we were married three years ago. Ever since, my wife is very afraid I will have an affair. I try to be open about my activities at work, but my wife then places extreme demands on me to not attend meetings where women are present. 
My encounter was with a former girlfriend, not a work associate. Her demands limit my ability to function at work. It disables me. It, it is to the point of an obsession with her. What do we do? I did not work with my former girlfriend. That mistake took place outside of the workplace. Her jealousy and suspicions are causing me to lose my love for her. Yeah, one of the most important principles uh, on marriage is that marriage requires adjustment to each other's sensitivities, whatever they turn out to be. And um, in this particular case, her sensitivities are his relationship with other women. And that is not at all uncommon. I mean, there are a lot of women out there who feel threatened by other women for a variety of reasons. In her case, it happened to be that he that while they were dating, he goes and has sex with another woman. I mean, that, that shattered her trust in him, even though they weren't married, because she assumed that because we're dating, you know, you'd be exclusive, exclusive with mm-hmm. me. And now that I know you're capable of, of, of cheating while we're dating, I'm, I'm always worried that you're going to cheat when we're married. Okay, so, I mean, that's not an unusual reaction for, for women, for some women. Now, then I would say that he has to adjust to her sensitivity as opposed to the other way around. The idea that her, that she should get used to the idea that he's going to be with women and that he's going to talk with women and these women are going to be his life and she should just get used. My experience is doesn't happen. Um, in other words, yeah, she, you know, he would say, well, she needs to adjust to my sensitivity. Well, I'd say, what sensitivity are you talking about? His sensitivity is that he wants to go ahead and do what he wants to do without her being critical of it. He would not. No, we're talking about her sensitivity and you not wanting to adjust to her sensitivity. I would say, though, he would say, my sensitivity would be, um, it's constraining me in the workplace. I have to deal with fellow employees that are both men and women. Yeah, but I would say, no, you don't have to. Uh, you can get a job where you're not working with other women. You can work together with your, your wife. You and your wife can start some, some kind of a business. Um, there are a lot of businesses out there that there are nothing but men working there. I've worked in many of them myself where not, not a woman in sight. And and so the basic idea is that he's married to a woman with sensitivities about his relationship with other women. Get used to it. Do you find that once the, in this case, her husband would cooperate with her sensitivities, as you put it, um, that she will be less jealous because she's yes. seeing him accommodate her concerns? Exactly. Exactly. And And the more he resists her, the more sensitive she becomes. The more she gets suspicious. Right. So the basic idea is in in cases like theirs, I would say that, okay, what kind of a lifestyle can we create where you're just not going to be in much contact with women? Now, I've I've worked with some couples where the woman um, is so upset about other women that they can't even walk through a shopping center without without her being upset. And then what I do is I look at what's going on there. And it turns out he's he's gawking. He's gawking at other women. I say, well, stop doing that. Does he admit that he's gawking, or is that her interpretation? No, no, that's, he admits he it. He admits it. Yeah, okay, he says, fine. I get really attracted. I say, yeah, other women, I just can't keep my eyes off her. I say, well, then you go, don't go through shopping centers anymore. <laughs> 
Uh, there was one couple. You know, that if I, you said that, if you said, I just can't keep my eyes off of that woman over there. <laughs> I, I mean, we would be out of there exactly. pretty fast. Exactly. Yes. And and there was a couple that I counseled where um, he would, you know, they, they lived on a beach and, and he would be looking at all these women in, in skimpy bathing suits and his what drove his wife nuts. And so I had the move inland. Don't live on a beach. Don't be in a situation where you go where people are clothed. Yeah, right. right. And and so you know, there's there's just all, all kinds of things that a husband can do to make his wife's life more uh, calm and stress free. What about a man who's jealous? Would you accommodate that sensi- sure. sensitivity in the same way? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, basically what 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 you're doing when you say you marry somebody, you're saying, okay, what I need to know is how you react. So, like I said, I've always talked about this empathy chip that we would have in our brain, and the idea is that I feel what you feel with this new empathy chip. And if I felt what you felt, I wouldn't be looking at other women. See, because it would bother me to do it because I'm connected to you. So, if you think of those. If you think of that when you're married, that basically you're going to feel the same way the other guy feels, then doing things that accommodate the other person's sensitivity makes a lot of sense. The natural inclination is to put down how another person feels. Yeah, you shouldn't feel the way you do. It's not how you feel. Exactly. There's nothing here. It wasn't, you know, in his case, I'm not working with my former girlfriend. Mm -hmm. These are just fellow workers. You shouldn't feel that way. And that's the worst thing you can say to someone. You shouldn't react the way you react. Yeah, who is having reactions. You know, and he says, well, I'm reacting. You know, when she tells me not not to have contact with other women, that makes me upset so shouldn't she adjust to me and i'd say well she's reacting emotionally to a behavior of yours that you don't have to engage you don't have to do that yes i do like i gotta go to work and i gotta have these women in my life no you don't you can find a job where you're not going to have these contacts you can re you can reset your uh lifestyle to me something that makes your wife feel secure. When do you get to a point, though, of saying it's gotten out of hand? You do all these things that you've just talked about, and yet say the wife would be upset that you even go to a Seven Eleven and there's a woman who takes your money. I mean, it would get that severe. When does it get to be so severe that you cannot accommodate it, and we got a real problem here? See again, I would say that you know if if it bothers you that she that that you're looking at somebody at not 7-11, looking, you're interacting, you're just giving money, and she's interpreting it. You're interacting with another woman. See, I would go so far as to say, look, you know, if there's if there's a high probability that there's a woman in the Seven Eleven, oh, don't go into the Seven Eleven. Why? That's I, too far. Well, no, but yeah, because you see, my harsh. my feeling would be that the marriage is more important than incidental behaviors that can be changed. But don't you think that's when the person tries to decide, is the marriage more important because of the constraints that are being put on them? Well, you can come to that conclusion yeah. if you want, but all I know is that in the couples that I've counseled, that uh, you know, these people are not insane. We're not talking about crazy people. We're talking about normal people that have a sensitivity that needs to be adjusted to. A normal sensitivity. Right. Okay. Well, Jeffrey, I hope that helps. We're going to be back with more questions and answers. Stay with us. Have you been to the forum? The marriagebuilders.com forum? It's a community where people come with their marriage problems and receive direction, support, and encouragement from those who have solved those problems in their own marriages. They did this by using Dr. Harley's Marriage Builders Concepts. 
You can view the daily interaction without registering, but to join in the discussion, you need to register. If you have any questions about registering or anything else about the forum, the administrator will help you by email. Your identity is kept completely confidential, and there's no charge. Just about every marital problem imaginable has been addressed on the forum, so don't hesitate to describe your problem to those who can help. Whether your problems are simple or complicated, new, or have been going on for years, the Marriage Builders Forum can help you find solutions. Are you looking for direction, support, and encouragement in your marriage? Check out the Marriage Builders Forum. Just one more thought on what we just <laughs> I just said I think we covered it enough, but yet you brought up something. I or I brought up something and you said, Well let's keep talking about it regarding the jealousy. I want I was trying to get across the extreme and I thought uh, if this was the man who was jealous of his wife being in the presence of other men, so much so that he would keep her in the house and say, you can't leave because I don't want you to in- interact with men at all. That's what I was getting at. That is unhealthy. That is abnormal. And a woman could get to that f- extent too. I don't want you to, you know, even look, oh, you're looking, you're looking. That's abnormal. You follow what I'm saying? Well, again, the the policy of joint agreement, which would be the rule that would apply in this situation, never do anything without an enthusiastic agreement between you and your spouse. That would include going to work where there are a lot of women, uh, going to a 7-Eleven where there's a female. See, then the question is, what, what conditions are such that there are exceptions to the policy. That's of what I agreement. want to hear. And I would say the health and safety of the person is the exception. So that you have to ask yourself the question, is my health and safety at risk by following the, 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 the things that my husband, my husband won't let me leave the house. I have to stay in the house. And I would say that's a health and safety issue. Of course you can leave the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, he, he, you might, you might be married to such a abusive and controlling person that you can't stay married to this person. Anymore. And this could be male or female, right? Yeah, You're saying, right? right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I would say that in the cases that I've seen, you know, the, the husband usually feels that the, there's some emotional disorder for the wife. And, uh, as a clinical psychologist, I can assure him that she does not have an emotional disorder. In being jealous. Yeah, that that her obsession is actually um, reasonable in the sense that, you know, I am one who recognizes that um, the risk of an affair is highly likely in marriage. And for a person who cheated while they were dating, question is, are they likely to cheat when they're married? I would say, well, people are likely to cheat when they're married, even if they didn't cheat when they were dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the point I'm making is that, you know, I look at the wife, I talk to the wife, I get, I get her perspective. I say, you know, she's she's not, she does not have a mental disorder. What she has is a concern about you cheating, which would be the worst experience that she could ever have in life. And she wants to guard against that experience. She wants to guard it. And in some cases, the person has already had, say, an emotional affair. And then that creates for that woman a very heightened sense of insecurity in the relationship. Okay. Thank you very much. And I'm glad Jeffrey answered the question. And I just wanted to, I think I wanted to test it to the extreme. And you've answered that. Mm-hmm. If, you, if your health and safety is at risk, then you cannot 
deal with it any longer. Right. Anything, actually, quite honestly. You might just have to get out of the marriage. Right, right. Joanna is writing, and this is regarding, she says, a negative husband. We've been married eight years, and I'm now realizing that my husband has a negative outlook on almost every part of his life, including our marriage, his work, his family, our finances, everything. Nothing pleases him. He's angry most of the time. I love your materials and think it would help our relationship, but I know he will be negative about even discussing this. Where can I start, if at all? Yeah, it's an interesting problem because I've dealt with depression throughout my entire professional career. It's the most common uh, emotional disorder that people face. And that's what her husband is going through? Her husband's depressed. Yeah, he's depressed. And depressed men are often angry men. You know, the the two go hand in hand. Uh, It's sort of interesting that when you're depressed, you have two choices of whether you're going to blame yourself for the problem or whether you're going to blame other people for the problem. Mm. And if you blame other people for the problem, you're going to express it in a form of anger. And if you blame yourself for the problem, you will express it in the form of depression. Okay, now let me ask. She says he's negative and angry most of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Based on those two descriptions, you are saying then he has... He's suffering from a depression problem and an anger problem, and the two go hand in hand a lot of times. So people that we run into that tend to be negative, they have a degree of depression? Usually. Interesting. Yeah, usually a negative negative outlook on life is usually a sign of of. of, of chronic depression uh, that basically you see the world through the eyes of uh, depression which makes you feel hopeless about almost everything and that's what she said she's he's negative he has a negative outlook mm-hmm. and that would be I, hopelessness yeah I had a friend uh, in college who was very depressed and uh, and his attitude was that he relished his depression he felt that depression is a good thing not a bad thing because a depressed person sees things for what they really are that basically we are all going to die. We do live in a, in a world where people are suffering. We do have all kinds of problems. If you wake up in the morning, you never know what's going to happen to you next. It's going to hurt you. And so to be, be, to be aware of the fact that life itself is full of problems and, and, and tragedy is to be aware of, of everything that's going on. And, and, and I said, and you know, and and existentialists, uh, the philosophers that are existentialists, tend to feel that way. That basically, we, that to the extent that you are understanding the fact that life itself has no purpose, you mm, know, mm. that you're you're way ahead of everybody else. Well, you know, from my perspective, um, I was saying to him, you know, uh, how, why do you want to go around feeling that way? Because, and he says, because I feel that that's the right way. That's the truth. That's I the have truth. an insight. Okay, so that yeah. taught me something about people that are depressed. And that is that the brain is doing something to the neural pathways where they are convinced that there are no solutions to problems. And it's not just the global problems of, 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 the, of suffering humanity, but it's the local problem of, of, oh my gosh, I got a flat tire, now what will I do? And, and they don't see the solution of changing the tire. <laughs> they don't see that if you don't get new tires soon, you're going to have a problem with flat tires later in life. Okay, understanding this, though, then, she wants to um, 
she wants to help with the marriage, right? Because it's, this mm-hmm. obviously would yep. be affecting the relationship. But he says has this negative, depressed outlook. Yep. She said, where do I even begin to discuss this with yeah. him, or do I? What does she do for him? Yeah, and in, in my book, He Wins, She Wins, I talk, what, what do you do when your spouse has a problem as an emotional disorder? And I, I really believe that the only person that can help someone with an emotional disorder is that person themselves. Now, I am a clinical psychologist, but I got to have the cooperation of that other guy to help them get over whatever they've got. Right. And and if a person comes into me and says, you know, I'm terribly depressed, right away I get them on antidepressant medication. I start talking about the situations that they're facing. I try to get them to have a more positive outlook, to come up with more creative ideas. But if the person says, I'm not willing to go through any of that, you see, then they can't be helped. So where does Joanna start then? I would, the encourage, I would encourage her to separate from him. Now, she might say, well, if I do that, he's going to commit suicide. Well, that's possible. Uh, the other alternative is you live with a depressed man the rest of your life. There's an argument that could be made that for all kinds of problems, um, like chemical dependency and um, uh, sexual problems and, and uh, problems with anger and problems with... that that if you are living with somebody that has these problems, um, by staying with them, you become an enabler. And you make the problem worse by reinforcing what they're doing that is inappropriate. And sometimes a separation is something that gets them to think about the fact that my problem is something that only I can solve. Good point. And so what you do is you go to the person and say, I really, I really love you. I care about you. I want you to be happy. But I don't think my being with you is helping you. And so I'm going to separate from you, and I'm going to encourage you to get the help you need from a, from a qualified therapist. And that's what I would encourage her to do. I think jo- Joanna needs to recognize that her husband needs help. He needs professional help from somebody who is trained to deal with anger and depression so that he can then become a person that is marryable. And my feeling is that anybody with depression and anger isn't marryable. You can't you can't enjoy a life with somebody like this. I would think that Joanna has been pulled down and down oh, yeah. and down. Right. And the fact that she's reaching out even to us and saying, I like your materials, I see light at the end of the tunnel, if he would join me on this train. Right. But um getting him on the train is the other thing. And that's where you come in with the suggestion. Tell her tell him what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And then if he doesn't respond, then we have to separate. Yeah, I would imagine that help. Joanna is trying to be cheerful, trying to be trying to yeah, look I'm at sure the bright she's side to bring of things. Yeah. She's trying, and then he tells her that she's a Pollyanna, you know, that I just, you know, you're not. You're, you're not, not seeing the world for what it really what is. It is and, right. and, and, and that brings her down. And I would say, get out of there. And, you know, it's not that we don't see the world. <clears throat> others don't see the world as it really is. We're recognizing mm-hmm. all the doom and gloom that is around us. Right. But we balance it out with the other part of it, yeah. the other part of the spectrum. Yeah. There is hope. <laughs> there is joy. There is laughter. Yeah. But we don't live in a Pollyanna society. Right. No, we are aware of everything that is taking but place. But for a person that's depressed, almost everybody else seems like pollyanna Yes, right. Because they, they're yeah. embracing the happiness of life. Right. Mm-hmm. And then something must be wrong with you for being embracing the happiness of life. Right. Well, okay, Joanna, so that's the recommendation then, and we trust that will help you. And always, when you do send us an email, we've discussed it, I will contact you 
uh, when we get off the air here so that you'll be able to listen to the show right away. And you'll have 24 hours to listen to it and re-listen to it because it replays until the next day's new show. But we would love to hear back from you. How are things going? Did it uh, did it work? Did it not work? What further problems do you have? Um, just keep in touch with us along the way. And we'd be more than happy to answer any further questions down the road, even on the topic that you had given to us. So, Joanna, that's for you and for everybody else who has written to us. Well, it's break time. And when we come back, we're going to wrap things up on today's Marriage Builders Radio with one more question and more answers. Have you been to marriagebuilders.com yet? Its purpose is to help you resolve your marital conflicts in a way that creates romantic love. If you both follow the advice this website provides, you'll solve your problems and be in love with each other in no time. If you're new to marriagebuilders.com, before you read anything else, you should take the tour. Click Site Tour on the home page, and you'll have a complete overview in a matter of minutes. Then, go to Basic Concepts. That's because they provide the logical basis for all Dr. Harley's solutions to marital problems, and it's completely free of charge. If you only have a few minutes and you want a quick overview, read the first topic in that section called A Summary of Dr. Harley's Basic Concepts. Take in Dr. Harley's articles and Q&A columns, interact with others on the forum, and learn to become an expert in making your marriage the best it can be. That's marriagebuilders.com. Well, we're in our final moments together. So glad you could join us today. And we're going to end the show with a topic of romantic love. And uh, that's a good way to end our time together. Sandra is writing. She said, is it possible to have romantic relationship if it has never been there? I became pregnant after we dated for only three months. So we got married. I've developed a caring for my husband, but he has always been my buddy, not a romantic partner. Is this because his account never got high enough in my love bank? Or is it because we just don't have chemistry? I would love for us to have romantic love. Thanks for your help. Great question. Yeah, and it is. I'm in the business of creating romantic love for those that had it before and for those that haven't had it before. Mm. So I have just completed, I'm actually in the middle of it actually, but I have uh, three articles already on the topic of creating romantic love when you never had it. And it is in my series on dating after marriage. You can find it in the articles section. And uh, it starts with part 11, I believe. No, part 12. I think it's 12, 13, and 14. I'm still working on I'm still working on 15 now. Okay. But basically, uh, at the end of 14, they are in love. And so I got them to where they weren't in love, now they are in love, and if you go through 12, 13, and 14, that's how you do it. And so um, if if um, Sandra's and her husband would cooperate with every assignment that I gave this couple and would do it, what I've said, they would be in love probably within six months. Well, we have the advantage here that they're, they're buddies. They're, mm-hmm. they're good friends, yep. and they share a child, right? And they are married. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they come to us uh, hating each other, and how do we get romantic love? Right. So at least they are in like. Yep. They, there's, you know, there's some appreciation going on there. So 
without reading the article, which we're going to encourage them to do, to read all mm-hmm. about the meat on the bones, mm-hmm. why don't you give us just the skeleton version? Well, the first thing that I did with the couple that I was working with uh, that are in the article there was to make get rid of love busters. And I, it, it sounds to me like Sandra probably doesn't have the love busters in their marriage, mm-hmm. uh, but just the same, they need to do an audit. So they should take the, they, they should fill out the love busters questionnaire and the question is, uh, are they engaged in any of the six love busters? And um, generally speaking, you have um, uh, demands, disrespect, and anger that are a problem, also independent behavior. Um, and and then, you know, if, if, if you got all those covered, uh, dishonesty and annoying habits, you know, you might want to think about those too. But those are basically those other four that I mentioned are the big, big, big problems. Then, then if you got that under control, no, no love busters. Now the next thing we need to work on is intimate conversation. And now I've got to teach them how to talk to each other in a very personal and intimate way. So I taught this couple how to do that, and it explains how that's done in this article. Then the next thing you have to work on is um, recreational companionship. You got to have a lot of fun. You got to go out, go on dates that where you're just having fun and so you figure out what you both enjoy doing together recreationally then we get to affection then affection comes up as a an emotional need that requires training you got to learn to be affectionate with each other and you got to be good at it the last thing i talk about is sex now she's had sex she they've had sex because they have but they haven't done the other three and so by doing the other three, you're building up a lot of love units uh, in ways that are non-sexual. And now all of a sudden, because you're feeling a whole lot better toward the other guy, you introduce sex into the relationship, and bingo, all of a sudden things take off. Some people might think that with romantic, wanting romantic love, you would have the dating at the very beginning, mm-hmm. that you would go out on this romantic date There'd be affection, intimate conversation, sexual fulfillment, and bingo, that's how you would get the romantic love back. But you address love busters first. Love busters is the first step because if you don't have love busters under control, uh, the date is going to be a mess. It erodes anything you're trying right. to accomplish Absolutely. on the positive end. Yeah, is that you can't it? accomplish anything. So you get rid of that first, intimate conversation next, recreational companionship next, then you have affection last sexual fulfillment. Can they date at all during that time? Well, in a sense, the, the you can argue that the date is 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 when they go out on a, uh, doing something recreationally. But I, the next the next part fifteen is on dating because in dating you do all of them at once, okay, all of them at the same time. And what they've been doing is they've been doing it piecemeal. I've been training them how to meet each other's emotional needs one at a time. Now they're ready to put them all together in a date. Sandra, I hope that helps, and we're going to make sure you get a copy of His Needs, Her Needs. Well, our time is gone, but we're so glad you could join us for this hour, and we will be doing it again. And I want to encourage you to go to that article section and look up Dating After Marriage. It's a good series, and uh, find out where you fit in this series on Dating After Marriage. I'm Joyce Harley with Dr. Bill Harley, and this is Marriage Builders Radio, building marriages to last a lifetime. Join the thousands of couples who have learned step-by-step how to experience a meaningful and fulfilling love relationship. 
They did this by completing Dr. Harley's online seminar and home study courses, His Needs, Her Needs, and Love Busters. Here's how it works. You'll begin by watching an online seminar where Dr. Harley will help you identify the problems you face in your marriage. Then the home study courses will show you how to solve those marital problems in a systematic way. Go to marriagebuilders.com homepage and click the tab Courses, Seminar, and Accountability. Look for program number two for a description of the seminar and the courses. Then follow the instructions on that page to place your order. Start the program the day the package arrives. And if you're not completely satisfied, send it back to us within 30 days and you'll receive a full refund, including shipping charges. Restore passion to your marriage. Order today. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain.